And so religion will make us want to tell people, you need to get to church. You've not been in church in a while, and you know, if you just go to church, things will be better. Religion will make us want to just begin to modify people's behavior, you know, stop cussing, stop doing this, stop whatever, you know, that we attach to, to, to religion. We'll say that. And really, all we really need to do is just point people to Jesus. Jesus' birth and growth into manhood preceded a coming change in the way his future followers would approach life as a believer. His parents raised him in the only culture they knew, in a system of repent, sacrifice, repent, sacrifice, to no avail. It was a system that left the devout feeling empty and not enough. The repetitive nature of the sacrificial system reinforced the belief that one must always strive harder and do more to earn the favor of God. You have joined us for message number eight, entitled, Not Enough, of the series, Luke, the Gospel Truth. This is Faith Life. And now, Pastor Jared Arnett. So this morning, we are in chapter 2 and in verse 21. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn there to get ready. Um, but we are talking about, uh, talking about a time, a season in Jesus' life where he gets his name. Anybody have an interesting story about how you got your name? Like a lot of times your mom will tell you, you know, or your dad, and you'll say, you're named after so-and-so, or, um, I mean, Waylon Nelson, where's he at? He's got the name of all names, doesn't he? Like, that's one that's good. So in our family, we have the same thing. Bethany was named, um, she got her name. Her mom had a, actually had a dream about her when she was pregnant with her. She was not married, it was not, uh, I would say my wife is divine. But I'm not making that claim right now. But she had this dream that somebody handed her a little a baby, a girl, and uh, its name was Bethany Danielle. And so that became my wife's name. Um, my name is, uh, my parents had named me Jared Brandon. And right before I was born, they decided to make my life complicated forever. And they added a third name. And so every time I come to an application, it says middle initial. Like, I get so stressed out. Uh, so they added my grandfather's name is Jared Brandon Leonard Arnett. That's a long, it's a lot to say. Um, and then, you know, we got a daughter, Rosalind. She's 14. And, um, and we, we named her. Her name was pretty figured out, Rosalind Noel. Our son, Harker, that just ran through here. He was kind of a clutch, last-minute decision. And Bethany would say, I named him. I mean, she was really, like, he was ready to enter the world and we were like, what are we going to name him? And, um, and we wanted to name him after a place in North Carolina that Bethany and I have gone for 20 years. And I've gone since I was like 12. I had family there. Really, really just a, a special place for us. Really kind of become a retreat, an oasis where we get away from all the noise. Feel the closest to God sometimes. And so there's a little place there called Harker's Island. It's basically if Phelps was an island. All right. This is, there's no hotel. This is not a fancy place. Um, this is just a place that, that and we, so we named him Harker. And uh, we knew when we named him, we were going to get it. Every time it says, what's his name? We say Harker. They say Parker. Or they say Harper. Like, it's really hard to kind of get it across. But that's okay. We were down there after Christmas, and we were in a store, and he had gotten away from us like five-year-olds do. And I was like, where is Harker? And like, the person working there was like, it's about 30 minutes from here. <laughs> I didn't realize that was his name. We try to find unique names for our children now. And a lot of times you see moms not wanting to share the name for their child and you know, don't, somebody will steal it. 
and we want it to be unique, and we want it to be different. And yet, in biblical times, we find names were more than just unique or special. That, that many times names in the Bible actually would, would describe both a, an element of the person's character, um, but, but many times it would also give a glimpse into their destiny or purpose. And so we find here in verse 21, even though the angels already came to Mary and told her, you're going to name your son Jesus, this is when baby Jesus gets his name. It's eight days old, and uh, after the birth, it says eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. It's a pretty important thing that's happening here. This name, Jesus, was very significant. And it did speak into both his character and his destiny and purpose. I think it's unique that God himself named himself. Right? Like, I'm coming into the world, Mary, name me Jesus. And that name Jesus had a very special and important meaning. It meant essentially Yahweh saves. Yahweh was the Old Testament name for God. So it meant God saves. In a way, in this name, in this happening in Mary and Joseph's life, God was beginning to, to say things, and he was speaking into the life of the very point. Now, not only was he saying God saves, I think he was probably saying, hey, the, the ritual, ritualistic religion you've lived into, the Jew, Jewish religion, doesn't save. He was also speaking into the reality that you're going to try real hard to follow all 613 laws from the Old Testament, and you're not going to be able to do it. So works and good deeds doesn't save. He's probably also saying, hey, I know you're proud that you're from David's descendants and there's got all this purpose and you can connect yourself back to Abraham and you feel real proud to be Israel and Jew and the chosen one and part of the cho God's chosen people. But that in along a bloodline and, and who you are and who your family is does not save. This had kind of been hinted at through all the prophecies about the Messiah, but it was about to get real. For Mary and Joseph, for all their friends and neighbors, and really for all humanity that would ever come after them. So as he speaks into this, his name mattered. Paul said it like this in his letter to the Philippians. He said, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. No, how, no matter how hard you try, how many names you look up on the, uh, on the internet and you got your baby name book out is never going to be above this name. It's a name above all other names. That, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what, here's what naming Jesus was was essentially saying to Mary and Joseph, they were living in a religion that was a try harder, do more. Try harder, do more. That's what they were living into. 
And so let's understand this a little deeper as we look at the scripture in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. It says, Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We find in this passage, this, these four verses we're looking at, 21 through 24, that, that Mary and Joseph are stepping into the rituals of the law at the time. Like they are doing what they've been asked to do. Anybody want to go to Leviticus and spend about 10 minutes? So I mostly knows. So we're not going to do that. I'm not going to walk you back through all the references in the Old Testament that's happening here. But just know when it, when it says in verse 21 that they went to get him circumcised on the eighth day, that was a rule. That was a law. On the eighth day, go get him circumcised. When, when it says they went to the temple in Jerusalem and dedicated him to the Lord, that was a rule about, about Mary after she'd given birth. If, she, if it was a firstborn son, she was going to be unclean for 39 days. On the 40th day, she could go to the temple again. She's following all these rules in the sky. So if, it's your, if your firstborn is a son and you have him, then you take him and you dedicate him to God. You say, God, this, you gave him to me, I give him back. You go and you make a sacrifice recognizing God's work in your life. And, and they were, they were, uh, you're supposed to bring a, a lamb, a sheep, but if you can't afford it, you were allowed to bring two birds, two pigeons or turtle doves. We see this humble beginning of Jesus' life where his mom and dad didn't have enough to bring the sheep. And what was really going on in Mary's life, these rituals, the, the sacrifices, the 613 laws, and you had all these in the Old Testament, and then you had the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the time, who took these 613 laws and made more. It was like when Congress passes a law and then uh, the EPA says, well, that one law equals 10,000 regulations, <laughs> right? And so this is what's happening, and they're trying to do all this, all these things that were constant reminders. They were in the, the try harder, do more, and it was a constant reminder, you're not enough. Oh, I know you sacrificed last month. You took a lamb, you went through the rule, but you sinned again. See, you're not enough. You need to go back. You're not enough. You're not enough. Who you are and how you are. You ever felt like you weren't enough? I felt like that a lot in my life. Still feel like it a lot. Uh, there's times, you know, I love my 12-year-old truck until I get in the pickup line at Pikeville High School. <laughs> Are you with me for a minute? It's like, this is all I need. It's paid for. I love it. And then you pull in, and you're like, every 16-year-old here has a better car than I have. <laughs> if I was only 16, I could have a new car. That's like my wish in Pikeville. And, and then I feel like... I need a new car. Like, this doesn't even smell like new anymore. If I just had a new car, I'd, I, I'm not enough. Like, I don't belong here. And I remember as a kid, I grew up in Cyrusville, about 45 minutes from here. And, uh, man, we'd be going to Lexington to go shopping, which we would do sometimes throughout the year. I'd get my best windbreaker or MC Hammer pants or whatever I had at the time. It's like, we're going to Fayette Mall. I got to fit in. I'm going to be cool. And I'd get there and think, oh, my gosh. This was cool like 10 years ago, apparently. 
Right? Like, I don't fit in here. I'm not enough. We feel it. it this is all the ways the culture makes us feel, whether it's money or, or it's prestige or it's power or it's a symbol. It also, the culture wants to tell us physically we're not enough. You can't get a wrinkle. Lord, have mercy. What if you get a wrinkle? You can't let your hair go gray. You can't lose your hair. Oh, my gosh. Like, that, you, you've got to be enough. You've got to live into these things. And the, this is like what the culture tells us. Everywhere you go, you look and you see ads and you see the life and you see the world and you see the culture. And you think, I'm not enough. And that, that sometimes that'll twist you into thinking, well, I just got to live in a filter. So we pay, do everything in the world, right? To no wrinkles, no, no gray hair, no all these things. And at the end of the night, you're just by yourself and you know, and I'm just living in a filter. I know who I am, who I really am, and I feel like I have to be those things to get people to accept me and be a part. But I know who I really am, and I still feel like I'm not enough. Culture throws that at us. Religion throws it at us. Oh, you're a Christian? In my mind, right, this is what people say, especially if they're, they don't understand the Bible, the truth of the gospel, how Jesus works. Uh, a Christian is just someone who acts good. Right? That's why we a lot of times just attach, they're such a good Christian. And so the church will throw this culture as that, that I'm not even enough to be a Christian. Yeah, sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I struggle. I don't talk right. I act right. Dress right. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta be like that. And so, anytime there's a misstep or a failure, we feel like we're not enough. And then sometimes our friends, our, especially friends who are lost or not in church, they look at us as the ultimate example of perfection. Right. And we, as the church, we really shouldn't look for perfection in each other. We should encourage and look for progress. Right? And the way that our lives are aligning with Jesus and his teachings. But if we look for perfection in one another, we're all going to be sorely disappointed. And so religion will make us want to tell people, you need to get to church. You've not been in church in a while, and you know, if you just go to church, things will be better. Religion will make us want to just begin to modify people's behavior. You know, stop cussing, stop doing this, stop whatever you know, that we attach to. To, to religion, we'll say that. And really, all we really need to do is just point people to Jesus. Like, if people get Jesus, they'll find a church. Right? When Jesus gives a hold of your heart. Like, there's not, it's not about, I got to go to church this week. It's about, man, Jesus got a hold of my heart. Where's my people? I need to dig in. I want to worship him. I want to learn more about him. I want to get closer to him. He's got a hold of my heart. I want to get to But this is what religion throws at us. It will make you feel like not enough. You are listening to Faith Life with Pastor Jared Arnett from New Beginnings Fellowship Church in Pikeville, Kentucky. This is message number eight of the series, Luke, the Gospel Truth. Let's continue listening as Pastor Jared Arnett continues his message explaining the intrinsic value of God's grace. This is what Paul said about Jesus' entrance into time and space. Galatians 4.4 4. 
But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I want you to understand that at eight days old, Jesus began living into his humanity and also his divine nature at the same time. He began to do something that he had promised that later he says he came to do, not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He began to identify with sinners. This was God himself. Why would he need to go through this ritual of getting circumcised to make him known as the child? Like, why would he eventually, and he would go forward in his life, and eventually he would get baptized? Why does God himself need to get baptized? Because he's identifying with the humanity that he came to be a part of. And ultimately, he would do that on the cross. Why would Jesus have to die on the cross? Because he's in our place. He's accepting the punishment that we deserved. He came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So what am I talking about? God saves. Jesus, God saves. While they're, they're fulfilling and becoming part of the law, I want you to hear in Romans 7, 7 what Paul says here. Well, then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. All right, so let's just settle here for a minute, and let's just talk about, talk about the Old Testament law, talk about the purpose of it, and how I would encourage you to read Romans 6, 7, 8. Just read all of Romans. Like, I mean, Romans chapter 7 will give you such good insight into this. If you read the rest of chapter 7, you'll find Paul saying, yeah, the law is good, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, all these things we're specifically supposed to do is good, but it is only good in that it points us to our need for Jesus. It was never meant to be the thing that, that would fix us and correct us and that we would hold ourselves uh, accountable to and determine heaven or hell for us. Actually, he says, when I, when I read the law, they told me not to covet the sinful nature inside of me. The law is not the problem. It's my nature. As soon as I read that, I was like, man, I really want to covet now. Because <laughs> it told me not to. Like a little kid, you tell them not to, not to run. They can't wait to run. And he says, this is what I saw coming up in me. It, saw me, it made me realize my desperate need and my, my slavery to sin. My desperate need for a Savior. Romans 10, 1, he said it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. I know what enthusiasm they have for God. In other words, they had it in the rules and regulations. They were so enthusiastic about getting people to act right. They were enthusiastic about 
about, about you know, rituals, baptism, about, uh, about the way that people talked, about the way people dressed, about the way you live your life, about all the moral things that we push on people. They were so zealous about that. But in verse 3 it says, For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Imagine Jesus the baby... And after all the things that Mary and Joseph have heard from the, from the angels, the confirmation from Elizabeth, the, the things that have happened in their life, that, that this, this, the face of the baby's looking up at Mary and Joseph, and he's like, man, I see my mom and dad living in this try harder, do more. It's like, I literally came to end that. I literally came to do the thing you cannot do. I literally came to give you hope in your hopelessness. I literally came to say that not being enough is actually enough. See, sometimes we think about this, and, and, and maybe when we give our life to Christ, sometimes here's what will happen. I hear people kind of say it like this I don't know if I can be a good Christian. Or they will think making a profession of faith and giving their life to Christ is just a commitment to try harder and do more. Are you with me for a minute? So you get saved and you think, all right, this is really just me turning over a new leaf. I'm going to be a good Christian now. And it's missing the whole call to repentance that Jesus is asking for. Jesus is saying, that's what you were thinking when you were sitting back there. That's what got you in the mess, is that you were thinking you'd try harder and do more, that you, you had to, your works were going to get you to heaven, and so now you're going to commit to me, and really you're just committing to try harder and do more, to be better? He said, I want you to change your mind about the law. It is no, you are no longer a slave to it. You no longer have to worry about whether you did it or whether you didn't, because I did it, and you don't have to. God saves us from the penalty of sin. Saves us from it simply by believing in him and putting our faith in him. Titus 3, 4, it says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. You get that? Paul writing to Titus says, not because of the righteous good things you've done, it's because you trusted in Jesus. Jesus, God, saves. Our hope alone is in him. As I think about Mary and Joseph, who eventually would see... The promise that's being fulfilled through Jesus and looking at their child probably had this feeling, this, this feeling of Abba, Father. 
this deep reverence for who God was and what he does. Because he doesn't just come to save us from the penalty of sin. Here's the incredible thing. He saves us from the power of sin. Well, you're saying right now, it sounds like, Jared, you're saying we can just live any way we want. And that's not like, we can just do whatever we want. And sin, that's not what's going to get us heaven. That's exactly right. You live however you want. Good, bad, different is not going to affect your eternity. One thing affects your eternity, your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's the incredible thing. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your behavior changes. Listen, religion in our area, I'm just going to say how it is, they got it backward a lot of times. And it's so much pressure. It is so much try harder, do more, you're not enough, you're not enough. And you see, this is the very thing when Jesus, I think if he could have spoke at eight days old, he would have said to his own mom and dad, come to me, you who are weary, heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. I think Mary and Joseph got their arms around that, and they were not at the temple because this is a ritual, and this is what my mom and dad did, and I got to go. The Pharisees said, I got to go. I think they knew, and they had this, this, this deep respect and awe of a God of creation who would do all they could and come to, to humanity and give them hope and save it, that, that deep in their heart, they could not wait to get to the temple. That they were not going through the motions. That God had turned their heart upside down. Has God turned your heart upside down? And I see people all around here that he has. I see how he's working in your life and through your life. Because he doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. So trusting in Jesus not only saves us, it transforms us. Begins to make you a different person. Romans 12, 1. Paul said it like this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, not a, this is not, I'm repenting and I'm giving God and I'm going to try hard. It's like, God, I give you my life, your Holy Spirit. Something supernatural happens when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It says he comes to live inside of you. He says, in your mind, I want to transform you. I want to change you. I want to break the strongholds in your life that there is power right now. Is it going to be perfect? No, but you're going to see progress. You're going to see your life change. You're going to see your dreams change. You're going to see your attitude change. You're going to see, especially your heart towards sin. You may keep sinning, but no longer you're going to be excited about it. No longer are you going to be looking for ways to get into it and do it. You're going, to, you're going to see, and your attitude about sin is going to change. He said, I want to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. I want you to think. Um, this is the reminder. 
the truth that Jesus was beginning to fulfill the law even at eight days old. He had you on his mind. He had me on his mind. He's not upset that you can't do it. He came because he knew you couldn't do it. You feel like you've let him down over and over. Yep, yep. He's like, I know you would. <laughs> I knew that. That's why I did what I did. So here's my resolution for 2024. And I'm going to invite you into it with me. I remember Mary's words right when the angel told her she was going to have a son and it was going to be a miracle and, and all these things. And she, remember how she ended? She said, I am the Lord's servant. I don't want you to try anymore. I don't want you to feel the pressure anymore. I want you to hear me say, knowing you're not enough is the first step in accepting the one who is. You want your life to be different? Don't commit to try to do better at the law and the rules and be a good Christian. Lay yourself completely down. Surrender 110%. To him. And you see, when you, when, you, when, you, when you surrender harder, when you, when you get to the point that Paul says, I realize in my weakest, I'm the strongest. When you, when you surrender to him and you let his power work inside of you, and when instead of trying to, trying to do more, we follow more, like we, we just consistently get a heart and a hunger for Jesus Christ himself, his teachings, his heart, who he is. And you see, when you pour yourself into surrender and following all these other things that you can't do, begin to happen in your life and fruit begins to bear. So I'm going to invite you as you think about it, as you pray about it, as you see in this passage where Jesus is doing something incredible, even as a baby. He's saying the try harder, do more is over. He said, I know you feel like you're not enough, and that's okay. I'm going to be the perfect, spotless lamb and just put your faith and trust in me. And he's beginning to get to a place where he's going to say those words, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy burdened. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Knowing that you chose the name of Jesus on purpose. Knowing how tempting it is for us for that name to just become a word in our household, a word in our culture that gets thrown around and kicked around, a name that gets debated about, was he just a teacher? Was he God's son? Was he just this? God, we want to we pass all that to the side. We want to say we're sorry for the truth that we've missed and the deep meaning of this name, Jesus, that you literally said nothing else can save you. I'm going to save you. 
I want to thank you for the rest and the peace that we can find in that. God, I pray for myself that this year I can surrender more, not try harder. Pray I can follow you more. Pray that I can just abide in you and you abide in me and you do the work that only you can do. I pray that for each person in here struggling with their own challenges, their own strongholds, their own things that make them feel like I'm t- God, could you just remind them that even before they were born in the womb, you knew their name? That they, they don't have to work to impress you. God, that you would just invite complete life surrender to you. God, that you would raise up in this place the heart of men and women who aren't going to church, but who are following Jesus. Would you raise up kids that are following Jesus, that are surrendered in their lives and just following him? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Faith Life. Faith Life is a ministry of New Beginnings Fellowship Church located in Pikeville, Kentucky. You can find us on the web at www.nbfc.church or look for us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to Faith Life Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and download each weekly episode. Join us next week as Pastor Jared Arnett delivers the ninth message in our series entitled Waiting Well. Again, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week as we walk the faith life.